Welcome to North Dakota After Dark. We are mostly all in North Dakota and it is after dark. And we are really pleased to be joined today uh, on, well, I'm not supposed to say what episode we're on anymore, according to our producer. So we are in the teens and we're very pleased to welcome to the program, Alexis Greaves. Alexis, thank you so much for joining us on this lovely Thursday evening. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Thanks. So Alexis, uh, before we get started, I like uh, if you don't mind, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and the work you do? And then we'll ask you some questions and, and hopefully have a great podcast. Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, thanks again for having me on. Um, so my name is Alexis and I am a, um, a licensed professional clinical counselor, LPCC in the state of Minnesota. Um, and I'm a registered play therapist and supervisor. Um I've just been figuring out that I graduated with my master's degree in 1999. So coming up this May will be my 25 years of post-master's work in the field of doing uh, therapy work with with children and families. Um, And then my latest venture is I've just started um, something called Campfire Family Coaching, uh, where I'm kind of taking a lot of my expertise from the world of child therapy. And I'm, I want to make it a little more accessible to families who um, could really benefit from a lot of what therapists can offer, but not have to be within the realm of psychotherapy. Um, so anyway, that's just my latest venture. And that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the episode that will air just before this one, Alexis, and usually we're on about a, a 10 day hold for our producer to producer slash wife slash roommate to uh, get the episodes cleaned up to her satisfaction. Uh, We talked about tryouts. Um, You know, this is a a little while ago for for all the hockey families um, in town here. Everybody went through tryouts. And one of the things that we mentioned uh, as as a group is that you kind of feel almost a palpable sense of anxiety throughout, you know, um, I don't want to say throughout town, but throughout the little group of people that hangs out together through hockey, uh, a lot of worrying uh, both amongst the kids and then amongst the parents about how things were going to shake out and how everyone would handle it. Um, and as I understand, you dabble in things like that as well, about how to help families navigate some of those pitfalls. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, um, I, mean, I certainly work. I would say that you know most of my work is um, related to helping families um, manage anxiety. Um, I think that... Um, certainly something all of us can relate to. Uh, If you don't have anxiety, you haven't um, lived through a global pandemic. So I certainly think that, you know, it's, it's common. Um, And, you know, I can certainly appreciate that um, when they're high stress moments, there's going to be, I mean, what I find interesting is the idea of, um, you know, children, experiencing anxiety and really looking to their parents to help them um, find calm and regulation in their nervous systems. But then when they look to their parents and their parents are equally as anxious, you're creating a system of anxiety um, rather than um, one in which, um, you know, the the adult is is there to regulate the child. So I can appreciate that's what's happening in these 
in these moments, in these experiences. And I think one of the things we thought we'd talk about too is how sometimes that uh, sometimes that anxiety kind of calms down once the season starts. But then, uh, you know, I, I do some coaching, and of course, all of our kids play. Um, you know, I think all of us have multiple kids that, that play at different levels too. So you know, come come the weekend, and there's you know tournaments and games and some contentious games. It just seems to be an ebb and flow uh, throughout the week of get you know getting through the week of practice. And then getting to the games for the weekend and then sort of re- experiencing that cycle over and over. So I thought maybe I'd let the other guys kind of talk about some of the experiences before I switch back to it. But but again, it's one of the things I thought we'd make a focus of the episode, too, is just trying to, you know, one, how if you could explain to us a little bit about how those dynamics work, which I think you've just touched on. And then again, where, uh, you know, how how both kids and, and, and parents might help tackle some of those issues. Yeah, for sure. And I, I guess the the follow up I, I I had to that is um, as far as the kids go, um, you know I think uh, Kelly and I and Corey have kids that are you know under ten. Um, from your experience, when do some of the kids start to get into this these issues of anxiety? Is it is it real young guys or, or does it come as they get closer to the teen years? That was going to be one of my questions as well. well I'm sorry, Kelly. Where, where you're where you're seeing anxiety. You know, is it is it younger and younger? Because you know, I mean, it just it, pressures have they changed on kids? You know, so I was just curious. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, we can see we can see anxiety in children from the time they're infants, um, and I think a lot of that has to do with how well. Um, a parent can, I mean, if you think about an infant being cared for, you're all parents. So you all had babies at one point, I'm guessing, unless you of course adopted older children. But if you think about a baby who is um, crying, the baby can't ever self-regulate, right? We would never kind of expect a, a crying infant to kind of get over it, to to use their tools, you know, other kind of things we might say for older children, we would immediately, we almost have a biological urge to move towards a baby to calm it down. And the only way that somebody can calm a baby is to feel or to, is to be calm, um, right? So if I kind of scoop up a baby, my body has to sway, you know, at a rate that's really going to cause that baby's body to um, start to kind of match my own. Um, I'm going to be taking deep breaths. Um, I'm going to be using a soft voice. It's okay. We're we're okay here. I'm going to be attuned to the baby and know how to respond to whatever the specific need is. And, you know, I think about... um, anxiety as as kids are aging is can very much be about how well is the caregiver responding in this moment um to whatever is happening for the child and so um one of the things i'll say to parents as kids get older is um how well are you attuning to what's happening inside of your child? Like how well do you know the internal landscape of your child's experience? Um, And then how well can you respond to that? 
Um, you know, in schools, um, I hear a lot of people talking about using this term self-regulation. Are you all familiar with that concept of self-regulation? Well, one of the things I think about is, I don't know if there is such a thing as self-regulation. What I would posit is when we're talking about self-regulation, what we're actually talking about is co-regulation, right? That idea of the adult who's regulating, who's loaning their calm self to their child. And the child gets enough of those experiences that it becomes embodied. So that if I'm a kindergartner or if I'm, you know, if I'm five and I'm going off to kindergarten for the first time and I'm nervous about leaving my mom, I am in fact going to be bringing my mom internally, right? Like I'm bringing mom on the inside to school. And then when I kind of get to the end of my day, there she is again, kind of fill me back up again. And we do this as adults too. Like we all have our co-regulators. You know, I get into a fender bender. The first person I call is my husband and he's going to be very calm with me on the phone. Hey, it's okay. Let's figure this out. You know, if I call him and he goes, you know, it's like, you know, it's only going to make things worse. So, um, so anyway, we can, kids experience um, anxiety at, I mean, I just see it at all ages. And the first thing I'm tuned into is how well is this caregiver child dyad um, able to experience this co-regulation? I know it's a long-winded answer, um, but I hope that kind of gives a, an idea of how I think at least about the idea of anxiety. Well, um, long-winded, oh, sorry, go ahead, Kelly. No, I just, I think it's really helpful because I, I have, I have two children, um, but my oldest is 12, and he's an extremely anxious child. He comes by that honestly because his mother is an extremely anxious person. But I, I couldn't agree with you more because that's kind of what I've recently been discovering as well is what am I doing to contribute to the anxiety? Um, and those tactics have been really helpful. So you are, it's, it's like you're speaking directly to me. Even when you mentioned like, a child being anxious at even little ages. I feel like my oldest from birth on <laughs> has been an anxious child. He just is. It's just his nature. So to hear that is helpful. It's, you know, just to affirming because sometimes it can feel like, especially when you see people with kids that are so go with the flow and so easy. I'm like, how do you get the, a kid to, to do that? <laughs> you know, I mean, and my youngest is much more relaxed, but um, there's just certain kids that I feel like, you know, I mean, I, I know, like I said, I, I don't blame him for being prone to anxiety. I'm prone to anxiety. I just, I, I feel terrible of all the things I could pass on to him that that was one of them. <laughs> so. yeah. well, just so you know, Alexis, uh, I'm, I'm excited to have you on the, the podcast. Uh, I'm one step away from laying down on my couch and asking you, why am I such a jerk? And is it my parents' fault? But I'll ask you a real question. <laughs> um, so as we were the parents of uh, children who play at different levels of hockey, uh, hockey in every youth sport nowadays, has, it's multi-tiered. And there's levels of play and different directions. And how do kids survive in this world of tiered groupings? And you're an A or a B1 or a B with all of their cohorts 
and managing that world at these lower and lower ages. Yeah. Yeah. What a, what a really important question. Well, you know, I've, I guess I'm, I'm going to be curious with you. Um, one of the things I, I think about, as you say, that is the idea of how much are we talking to children about this idea of um, achievement versus identity? And, you know, like you can really excel in something or be on the learner's edge, right? Like we're kind of always growing and and um, experiencing more and more mastery of anything. Um, how much can we separate out that this is what I do versus this is who I am? Because I think that sometimes when um, children put too much of their identity or they feel like other people are placing um, their identity on the thing that they do when there is failure or hardship or they just aren't placed in a tier where they would think that they belong, then that can start to affect a sense of their identity. But but let me put that out to you. Does that does that resonate um, as I kind of think about that that way? You know, it does. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Kyle. No, I was just going to say, yeah, yes, to me, it does. Yep, that was it. That was it, Kyle? <laughs> that was the best you could muster? <laughs> that, that, that's all I, I said. Uh, that's all, all, literally all I've got. <laughs> so, so that, that dichotomy between your achievement and your identity. So when you're when you're managing your child's expectations in reference to where they're at at a given period of time in their development, in their mastery of a skill, uh, we've talked to a lot of parents and there can be a lot of consternation there because they're along with the child's experience, the parents in these social groups, they're just the same. So there, there's a belief of a social tiering amongst those different rankings. And so there's external pressures for a child to achieve at a higher level in youth sports now because of the different social aspects the parents can get into. And you have a dual navigation of the child trying to figure out their own place at their own level, along with the parents wanting their child to be at a certain level for achievement, for social goals, for, for whatever. And that expression in your uh, identity can get so wrapped into these things. And I'm not saying I haven't been there myself. It's, it's such an interesting world to live in. And that's just one sport out of the year. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I do, th I, we just have to be so cautious as parents to um, not be putting the weight of our needs um, on, on our children, right? We have to, we have to work very hard to be separating out. This is a need that I have for my own sense of, worth or my own sense of achievement, but it has to be separated from, um, from what my child can hold. Well, that's great. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry, Corey. I just want to circle back. And that was great. Thank you. That's all I had, Kyle. Perfect. <laughs> that's all you got? That's all we that's got. All I, got. <laughs> I like it. Get right after it, Alexis. Um, you talked about, um, Kind of off the hop about uh, sort of understanding um, the the child's internal landscape uh, and some of the self regulation. And one of the the wrinkles 
I think that exists here too, uh, applying your your teaching to to what goes on during the winter with, with hockey is, you know, the kids also spend probably five, sometimes six nights a week or significant amount of time with a coach. Um, what do you think about, uh, you know, a role a coach might play here, you know, understanding they don't know all of that internal landscape of, of the of the child, but then also, you know, there's um, sort of a un, unstated rule that the kid also has to listen to what the coach says and and, and take that for, for good and bad and, and just sort of inserting a third party into it here too, if you want to, if, if you could touch on that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think that the, the role of the coach is a really interesting one. I, you know, I, I think a lot about, uh, what, are the, what, let me say it this way. When I'm talking with children, um, about hard things, one of the questions I often ask them is who are your helpers? Who are your helpers? And, um, and, you know, children will often talk about the role of a coach for them um, as, as a helper. Now, it could be, you know, they see them as a helper in getting, um, you know, better at the sport that they're playing. It could be that there's it's a relationship that um, it's a trusted adult uh, that they respect and who treats them with dignity and, and, and sees something um, really beautiful in them. Um, and, um, and it can be a complicated relationship as well, right? Like here is somebody who is in a position of authority, um, who's not a parent. Um, so, um, that, so I'm thinking about the, that from the child's perspective. Now, as I think about the coach as an adult in, in a child's life, um, I think one of the things that all of us adults who are working with children have to consider is things are really different for kids post COVID. Um, I've been, I've been spending a lot of time, I think a lot of us child therapists have been thinking a lot about this um, idea of what does it mean? And I'll be curious to hear because I think people in different parts of the country experienced the lockdown and the pandemic differently um, but I think about what does it mean for adults to be, to speak in the lives of children who have missed a significant chunk of their development? Um, and what I mean by that is I'm sure that you all have experienced is, you know, for me, here we are a couple of years, um, outside of that initial shutdown and I, I still feel like when I think back to March of 2020, like I still have a feeling of vomit coming up my mouth. You know? <laughs> so like, oh my gosh, that was so stressful. <laughs> um, and the year that followed, but for, but it was just a year in my 51 years. And for my kids, it was such a big piece of their life. So I just, anyway, I know I'm rambling, but I'm, I'm just thinking about as far as coaches go, um, to, 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 for them to be able to appreciate the, some of the hardships that kids have experienced and how they might be showing up differently. Um, and that I really encourage, um, 
coaches and teachers and youth group workers and whoever else to be trying to get curious with kids as to why they might be showing up the way they're showing up. Interesting. Okay. I think oh, it, Alexis. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, go ahead Kyle. You, you're, uh, I think you were adding on to your thoughts. Uh, yeah. Just, just on that, uh, that curious point of view too. I always find that an interesting one as well. Like uh, you coach, you got 15 or 16 kids and they show up for games or practices in a different state almost every time. Um, and I am often curious as to what's going on, but then I'm also wondering about how far to pry because some they're, you know, 11 and 12 year old boys. And sometimes some of them have a lot to say and some of them you get a shoulder shrug good or bad, right? And so it's uh, an interesting thought uh, and one that I'm, I am, like I say, curious about, but just not sure how far to to jump in, I guess. Especially then, at the age where they're like pushing back against mom and dad a little bit and, and yeah. they're turning from boys into young men. And it's a awkward time, I think, for some of them too. That's right. That's right. The other thing about that is some kids can really articulate well what's going on for them internally and others just cannot you know like I just had a just uh, this afternoon I had a therapy session with a seventh grader and I really do not like um doing therapy over zoom um but just given circumstances we had to have our session that way and um you know the whole the whole session is me just asking question after question and this the seventh grader being like I don't know and, and then me saying like, it's okay not to know. I'll give you some time to think through. And this person sits there and goes, I really You're don't You're a know. hero to do that. <laughs> Especially really... like seventh grade boys. That's a, uh, that can be a nut that you can't crack. You know, like it's just, there's, you're asking yeah. every, I don't know. I yeah. don't know. I don't know. And you know, the great thing about my work is I say, I'm a play therapist. You know, the thing I say to kids is you can tell me or you can show me. You yeah. don't have to use words, right? Like, as a matter of fact, sometimes words fall short. And, um, you know, I've got a lot of different tools that I use. Um, but I, and I just think about this. I had a friend of mine, he's a principal at an elementary school. And he was telling me that one of the kids, um, was just a, like having a really rough time and the kid was removed from the classroom and brought into a, I don't know, some other kind of holding area. <laughs> That's not the right way to call it, but you know, a different space in the school. And this kid just kind of knocked everything off the shelves. And, and then, you know, the adult who was in there kind of moved out of the room to keep herself safe. And the principal was telling me that he walked in and just said to the kid, like, okay, we're stopping this. Like, we're stopping this right now. And the kid stopped and just took a breath. And the principal said, looked around the room and said, is this what it feels like on the inside? And the kid was like, wow. <laughs> and the principal said, you know what? We're not going to work. Because the kid was kind of, like, anticipating, like, and you're going to clean this up and, you know, forget this nonsense. But, the, you know, instead, the principal just said, yeah, you know what? Let's not worry about this room. Like, I'm more concerned about you. Yeah. And I just thought, like, way to go, dude. Like, that is how, you know, this is how we get kids to come around and reconnect with us. Because no doubt that kid was in a shame spiral. 
And when kids are feeling shame, they're just going to push us further and further away. And so when somebody can come in there and reconnect and say, you are more important than anything that you could do to mess this up. And then what happened was, and this is just the beauty of, of connecting with children, the kid said, kind of came, you know, caught up himself kind of calm again and got some water and, and then looked at the principal and said, I'm ready to clean up. Oh, did I go offline? Okay. Okay. So the, um, the, the, the kid said to the principal, I'm ready to go clean it up now. And the principal said, let's do it together. Um, so anyway, um, I start talking and then I lose track of what the initial question was, but you know, well, anyway, I'll leave it. Uh, yeah. Hopefully there's something in there. Yeah, for sure. So, so as sports parents, um, one of the key features that we have uh, our children go through the process a lot of, and as Kyle mentioned, coaches as well, is how do you handle a child's experience with failure? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, the first thing I'm going to say is my husband um, has, he, he, when we started having kids, he said, I've got our family motto. And I said, what's that? And he said, I want them to fail young and fail often. I want them to fail young and I want them to fail often. And the more that they can experience failure and rebounding from failure and seeing that, like, we still love you, there's so many opportunities to, to learn and grow um, from this failure, um, the less frightening will be, right? The less frightening it will be later on. And if if we're shielding our kids too much from failure when they're young, and I'm not talking about, you know, we, we live in a, a culture, sadly, right now that I feel like is so binary that we, we've we've forgotten how to kind of live in the in-between, right? And this is where I'm always encouraging people. Let's live in this in-between space. I'm not talking about, um, you know, we're going to be way over here letting our kids um fail entirely on their own and being like, well, three-year-old, live and learn, right? And then we're also not going to be as, you know, we we sometimes term helicopter parents hovering right over them to keep anything from ever happening, right? It's that kind of in-between space. The the analogy I sometimes use with parents is if you have your kid at a swimming pool and they're, they're a little bit nervous of the water, we don't take the kid and throw him in the deep end, right? That's flooding. That's overwhelming. And we also don't say, oh, the swimming pool. Oh, come here, Johnny. Don't even look at it. Just, just we're just going to make our way. You know, I said the, the way we want to deal with it is we going to, we're going to hop into the water and we're going to say, hey, come on in when you're ready. Dip your toes, dip your feet. I'm here. Come on in with me. So I think that's the same way I think about when kids experience failure is um is to let them hurt i think that's a really hard thing for parents so hard <laughs> so so hard why 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 would you say that's such a hard thing i i don't disagree with you i'm just i'm more interested in your take on the why there well, you tell me. I'm, I'm looking. I'm looking at you, Kelly, because you said you said it hurts. Well, yeah, tell me. Yeah, I I think just because 
you don't want them to take away that they are a failure. And as someone who, um, like I just, I'm, I'm 36 and I just started getting the concept of, Hey, it's okay to fail. And the whole world doesn't come crashing down around you. I I'm still not very good at that. I, as a kid, I thought if I got a bad score on a test, the world would come to an end and that that was just the inevitability of it. So I, I understand, you know, I, I, I'm with you. I believe in that failure is necessary and you have to feel it and you have to do it. But just the the scariness of you don't want them to take away that they are a failure, you know, because sometimes depending on the kid, that is what they, what they receive from it, you know? And um, so there's that, that danger that there's the, the, the quality of the lesson, but also worrying that they will let it define them too much. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Go, go ahead, Kyle. Were you going to say something? No, I was, I was, uh, when, when time allowed, I was going to circle back to your swimming lesson analogy because the being thrown in the deep end is the, what they call a Saskatchewan swimming lesson and how I, <laughs> so maybe, maybe I need to lay on the couch beside Corey and ask about that one. <laughs> It's getting, it's getting weird, Kyle. It's getting real yeah. weird now. Give me lessons are laying on the couch with you, Corey. Yeah. <laughs> There's some trauma that's coming up here. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, I, I, I never passed interme intermediate swimming, so I could become a lifeguard, but that was less about my ability and more about uh, who got to be lifeguards in my town of 500. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. That's fantastic. That's really great. That's really great. Well, you know, to come back, swing back around to to your to your question, Corey. I think that um, I, I really hear what Kelly was saying that we we do fear that our kids experiencing failure might mean that they will think that they are. It's that it's that like um, you know outcome versus identity, right? Like, hey, you tried, you failed. Um, and I think so much of that is about how well we as parents can show up and be really big containers of our kids' emotions. And I go, and I, you know, I know the listeners can't see me, but, you know, I do this thing when I talk to parents where I kind of put my arms out in a kind of a big circle in front of me and say, you know, sometimes we're like a tiny little teacup, like we can only hold a little bit of our kids' emotions. Um, and our job as parents is to be as big a container as we can to hold all of those experiences. And if that is deep sadness or that is rage and anger, and I'm not talking necessarily about saying any expression of the emotion is okay, right? Like that's where really good parenting comes in. And we say, you're allowed to be angry. You can't kick your brother because you're angry, right? Yeah, that sounds very familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But sometimes we tell kids, hey, stop being angry. Or we tell kids, this is how I grew up. Um, you're, I wasn't told directly your anger is too much for the family to hold, but um, it's not okay. It's making dinner really uncomfortable. So go to your room, right? Like I was often told to go to my room if I was angry. Um, and I'm not talking about like, you know, knocking over dishes at the dining room table, just being like, I don't like that, you know, and it just was my family system. Anger was not okay. And so I was sent off to my room, but no one gave me any tools of what to do when I'm alone in my room. So what I learned as a kid 
is when you're um, angry and you're sent off, you're kind of excommunicated from the family, right? You're, you're separated out. You go off to your room alone. I don't know, you know, what do I do by, in my room by myself with my anger, except stuff it. And then once I've learned to sufficiently stuff down the anger to say, can I come, can I come back out? Have you calmed down? Yeah, I've calmed down. I haven't actually done anything with all that anger energy, right? And so um, one of the things I encourage parents to do is it's okay. If a kid is being like is upsetting the, the family dinner and that kid needs to leave, have them leave, just go with them. And let them know, like, you're really angry, right? Like, let's, let's do some, let's jog in place or let's, um, right? Like whatever that energy needs to do to, to be worked through. And then once we're kind of, where you're doing, the kid's doing better, let's go back. Like, let's reconnect um, with the rest of the family. Uh, so anyway, that's, that's my thought around this idea of failure is, are we as parents big enough containers for all those different emotions that come with it? And my guess, Kelly, is like if we're really good at being big containers for emotions, kids can start to separate out. This is a feeling from this is who I am. Yeah. Well, because I really, um, when you spoke earlier talking about um, what I do versus who I am. I think in particular in this, I, that is a, it's a worry that I have um, because we live in a community where hockey is life and life is hockey. And it's it has so many good positive things, but these kids, they deeply identify as I'm a hockey player. And that's one of the most important things about me. And so that's a little bit where I get worried is that while I love it and I love all the positives and I love all the wonderful things that come from it, I do worry about, I've even seen it, my husband coaches high school hockey. I've seen it in my own family members of when hockey ends, well, who am I now? You know, who am I now? That was who I was. Um, Now I kind of have to figure out because all 18 years of my life, have revolved around this specific activity and then where am I now? You know, and that's where my worry comes in a little bit. Not, not that I, I want to discourage or take this from my kids because it gives them so much joy and it really does. They truly love it. I don't, you know, I don't have to make them love it, but I do worry about where you touched on what I do versus who I am. And I do worry about that as well. Yeah. Uh, Kelly, which is you go for it. Mine's an anecdote. I was gonna, I, well, mine was too, actually. So, but I'm going to jump in ahead of you, which is kind of a nice tie into one of our running gags because uh, th- this week's chirp of the week was my Bantam player had a uh, a player at the on an opposing team chirp chirp at him by saying, "You're never going to get any college offers." <laughs> so there you go. What a, what a terrible mean <laughs> thing to say. He didn't even know what to do with that one. He's like, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Yeah, uh, mine was roughly along similar lines in that uh, I, uh, I'm an adjunct at the, at the local college here. Um, 
have a bunch of athletes in, in the course and they're just handing in their finals now. And they ask one of them about their sort of an open-ended question about, uh, you know, what their goals are in, in sports and how they're going to achieve it. And this is a very high level hockey player, NHL draft pick. He wants to play in the NBA. Eight paragraphs about what he could do if given the chance to play in the NBA. He does not meet the height profile. Uh, and I was like, this is the best answer I've ever read because he's put a lot of thought into how he's going to get into the NBA. So speaking of identify, completely does not clearly identify solely as a hockey player. He's a basketball player at heart. So it is possible to have both, I guess. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. yeah. Did any of you read uh, Andre Agassi's uh, book, Open? No. Fascinating book um, about um, how he was, you know, Andre Agassi was, you know, top of his game, top of the game, um, and uh, hated the sport of tennis. Huh. Never wanted to play. I mean, it's just so fascinating. Um, anyway, that's such a departure. But like, I was just thinking about like when somebody's so good at something, but then their heart is leading, you know, somewhere else. I just find that so, so interesting. That, if I could touch on, because kind of the one thing that I wanted to really ask you about, because it's kind of been like one of the things at the forefront of my mind here lately um specifically pertaining to child psychology with sports um just kind of what you see with burnout and how you deal with that um right now you know our our sons now um are well i mean we have we have multiple children but the the the, the age group that we have in common of our kids um are at the peewee level um my son made the double a team and it's just kind of change everything this year in terms of like commitment um there's workout there's tape there's video there's i mean it it it's it's intensified a big jump from sports and uh well there's been a lot of positives with it i guess what i just worry about is what you see as a a, psych, a, a psychologist with burnout and then kind of you know like what what your advice is on that because I, I worry about you know I think when I look at my my husband's always been a hockey player since he's been a little kid but when I look at what he did at 12 versus what our our boy does at 12 I I worry that as we're changing the game and doing these new things are we are is this a career for our kids before they have any business having a career? You know, that's I guess that's why we're, you know, because anything that you were you do constantly, you will lose passion for at some point. You know, that's that's my worry. It, um is this intensity at, at young ages. I don't want him to fall behind. Um, and so there's that fear. But I also worry about can he sustain this level of passion for this when he's so saturated in it? So mm -hmm. I, I really wanted to touch on that with you and just what you see and what your advice is. Oh, that's such a great, great question. Oh, this term burnout. Oh, I'm, we're just hearing it in so many different ways, like with kids, with professionals with teachers, you know, like people are just like, I can't, I can't anymore. 
Um, and as you were talking, I was just, my parents are both from the UK. They were, they were born and raised in England. And, um, I think about like how my mom in the UK, you have to choose like your area of study in really the beginning of high school. You know, it's kind of like you're declaring a major, um, much earlier on, at least when they were growing up in the fifties, sixties. Um, and, uh, you know, my mom really like, she was good at science. And so she was kind of like funneled down this road of science, right? Like, and then ended up doing her PhD in chemistry and then was like, oh, wait, I hate this. (laughs) (laughs) Went back to get her MBA at the age of 40. Um, And, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, what happens when we encourage kids or like we, we see something, right? We see something that they're gifted in, but then we make the road really narrow for them, right? And it's a fast road. Um, so, you know, the other thing I think about is that for all of us, we have what's called a window of tolerance. Are any of you familiar with this concept of like a window of tolerance? Except for Kyle, I have no idea. (laughs) Corey has a small window of tolerance for Kyle, but other than that. (laughs) Oh my gosh. But not for everybody, as I like to say. (laughs) Well, if you think about um, our nervous systems and, you know, this autonomic nervous system that we all have, which um, really is about this idea of regulation um, and um, and safety and connection and all these like wonderful things. Um, and I'm going like this with my hands, like one on top of the other. And so if you kind of imagine like two lines, um, like like railroad tracks and the top line is um just use really simple language it's like the gas in our system and then the bottom line are like the brakes in our system and so you know if we have a healthy window of tolerance we can kind of go through our days kind of having a lot of gas in our system and then coming down and then going back up again and then maybe having to stay on the upper part of our of our nervous system inside that window of tolerance and coming back down. And like when we're inside our window of tolerance, we can like be creative and, and do our best work and um, have a lot of resilience. Um, uh, and we are really well connected to ourselves and to other people and the world around us. But what's true is when we have a lot of stress on the system, and um, we rev up too much and we break outside that top bar of our window of tolerance. I say we pop outside the top part of it. We have too much gas in our system and we kind of rev, right? And we're, um, we're not able, like this is me driving home and there's ice on the road and all of a sudden my car starts to, you know, like spin out and I'm, I can feel my heart racing. Um, and, you know, my stomach's clenching and my muscles go real tight, right? Like that's all a nervous system response. That's not me thinking through um, all those things. Our body just responds. And so when we are outside of our window of tolerance and our nervous system kind of gets stuck up there, that is when we have, you, you may have heard this term, a lot of people now are talking about the term like fight or flight. 
And so that's one version of burnout. Are those kids who just need to, like, they want to fight on everything, right? Like, you're just like, what, what, like, why is everything an argument? <laughs> um, or they want to just, like, not deal. They just want to avoid, right? Like, that's another way of um, kids experiencing burnout. And it's because they have had just too much gas in their system. And it could be, like, they have a hard time handling pressure. They have a hard time handling stress. Um, they have a hard time handling stuff that's going on at home and then they got to show up and, and like mentally they're still dealing with their parents' divorce and here they are showing up for practice and, you know, and then they're like in this place of, it's just too much. Now, um, we call that energy mobilized energy. That is energy that, um, it's meant to, it comes from a time when, um, you know, if you were being chased by an animal, you need all that mobilizing energy to get away and get yourself safe. Um, but if you find that having all that fight or flight energy doesn't actually get you what you want, then typically what happens is kids will then drop out the bottom end, bottom side of their window of tolerance. And that's when there's too much breaks in their system. They're they're coming out the other end, right? And that is like, I don't care. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to go to practice today. I don't. I don't even I hate this sport. I hate you, right? Um, and that's another form of burnout. Um, and then what's also true is for some kids. Their window of tolerance is real narrow. It doesn't take much before they're busting out the top or the bottom end of their window of tolerance. And I feel like our job as adults when we're with kids is to, as parents, as teachers, as a therapist, as coaches, is to help widen that window of tolerance for kids so they don't have to feel burned out. They might feel like they have a lot of energy and we got to help them, like, have more regulation up and down. We got to rest and now we ramp back up and then we rest and we ramp back up. Um, and I think conceptually, that's how I think about keeping um, keeping our, our kids out of burnout. Why do that window of tolerance? Yeah, absolutely. I And I find that so interesting because I, I mean, I had never really thought about that, but you hit it exactly with the either being on the, the hyped up version where, you know, you're, you're acting on nothing but like push and then the bottom, the follow that I don't care. I don't, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want, and, and, you know, we're going into the teenage years here. So I feel like that window of tolerance narrows, it'll come back a little bit, but you know, teenagers are, they're mostly intolerant of a lot, you know, in particular mom and dad, you know, <laughs> so, you know, we're, we're so annoying. I get told that quite a bit here lately. You're so annoying, so annoying. And, um, but yeah. Oh, it, Kelly, it only gets worse, Kelly. Oh, it only gets worse. I, I mean, I'm, Corey, I, that's, I keep thinking to myself, I'm like, you're 12, you know, like, I, I can't possibly be annoying you this much. You wait how much I'm going to annoy you, you know, but it, um, yeah, I guess I just, I worry about that because I do feel like there's a, there's more of a structuralized 
pressure on kids than we ever went through. Um, you know, I was involved in things, but I never remember the intensity that, you know, like, um, I, I, I remember having free time. I remember having days with nothing to do. And I feel like I sense, I sense sometimes the negativity in parents where they'll go, well, I don't want them to have all that free time. And I'm like, free time is what keeps me sane. You know? <laughs> it always has. And it always, I mean, you just kind of need it. So I just, I worry about like the, the hamster wheel that we put kids on, you know, and not that there aren't positives to the hamster wheel. It There, there is truth to staying out of trouble, having purpose, making friends, you know, feeling good, having accomplishments. There's positives, but there's also the, the danger of, you know, you mentioned Andre Agassi. I played tennis. I was good at tennis. I hated tennis, you know, like that's, that's where my fears come in as a mom, you know, like my children hating something that they even have talent for, but um, feeling that they can't express that, you know, or, or, or even feeling like that, that's not something that we can, that you can safely say out loud and then get through it, you know? Yes. Yes. And, and just, uh, I want to just say on that point for one second more, which is sometimes our kids will tell us something um, because they so want us to be on the same wavelength with them. Like they, they're vibrating at a certain level and if we come under that or way above it, it it can feel too much or too little. And so kids will say like, um, I hate this. I hate this sport and I want to quit. And that might not actually be true. Right. right. It's just that's a way of saying like, I don't know how to handle this moment. Right. You nailed it. That's that's where I, I fear is it, that it isn't true, but it's just the resentment in the moment, you know, because it's it's they're they're little it's a lot of responsibility at such a little age you know yeah yeah and I think that like the right response or the response I would encourage from parents is to be like you're having a really hard time right now let's figure this out together as opposed to um kind of putting too much validity in that statement and being like oh my gosh my kid's gonna quit what am I gonna you know, like becoming catastrophic about it, you know, just like staying in the moment, right? Be a big container of that emotion and just being like, this is hard. Let's figure this out together. You you know, you talk about controlling emotions and handling these things and being better. So it's it's funny we talk about all these things and, and yet you hear in sports and you observe often um, a lot of uh, contentious things coming from the stands with parents. Now, I'm not going to sit here and, and say that I'm, I've never had these issues as well, because I do. Why is it so hard for us, other people, spectators in sport, to watch the game going on without having these outbursts? Maybe you're not happy with the way the official calls a play. Maybe you're not happy with um, uh, what you perceive to be a dirty hit. Maybe you're not happy with the other uh, team's parents' way they're cheering or uh, cheering against your kids. Why do we as parents get into these hot zones when we watch our children play sports? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I love it. I'm going to just, I don't know the answer. I'm going to tell you two things that I wonder are at play. 
One is when we're watching sports, um, there is this, there's this thing called a mirror neuron. Have you guys ever heard of a mirror neuron? Like if I got my water bottle here, right? Like, and it's got ice water in it. If I take a sip and I'm like, and I swallow, like your bodies are probably going to be like, I know what that feels like, right? Like you can imagine yourself drinking that water because your neuro, your, your mirror neurons are firing while I'm drinking, right? Um, if somebody like slips and falls on ice, we're all like, ooh, like we do this kind of thing, right? Where we're like, ooh, because we know what that might feel like. That's a mirror neuron. Well, when we're watching sports, just sports in general, our mirror neurons are firing. And we can say that we're just like, we're just observing something, but we're not. Our bodies are actually responding to these plays in a very, um, in a very uh, energetic way, right? So that's one thing. We're not watching it like we're watching, um, you know, a movie on a screen, right? Like there's something about watching uh, and your own bodies are probably like, I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to, to, you know, to score that goal. I know what it feels like, you know, when, yeah, I don't know the language of hockey, but you know, all those things. Right. Um, and so that's one thing. The second thing is that's my kid. So like there is something, um, biologically about the fact that it's our child on the ice. And as much as I'm encouraging, you know, parents to like, you know, create some form of separation, right? Like to see your kid as separate and different from yourself in a heated moment, that sense of um, empathy and connection is so strong that it may as well be me that is, being told something or is being checked or whatever it is. Right. Um, and so everything just kind of like gets real big. Um, especially if you don't have a sense of self-reflection. And I think that like, I'm going to guess a lot of parents in those stands aren't in a place of self-reflection in that moment. Like I said, this is just a guess. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I, this is the fun of dialogue is to be, to hear other thoughts no i i agree like it's funny that you label that mirror neuron we're talking about how we can watch a situation that we know and then be charged by that situation you know it it's something we've all felt but to have a label on it you know it, it makes sense to say that because it's it's you know like you said it's a shared thing to perceive how something feels um and then feed off of that yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's true in sports, but I'll just say this just before I got on this podcast, my husband on our huge screen TV was watching snakes on a plane. <laughs> and my 11 year old is watching, you know, and she's like, what? Is like she came in like this, you know, scary part. And she's like, Turn it up! Turn it up! <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yeah, like she's been on a plane. This is a horrific concept. <laughs> uh, you know. Terrible, terrible idea. Right. Who's, whose nightmare is that? 
Yeah. Um, and so like, I'm thinking to myself, well, there go like her, her mirror neurons are shooting off and she's like, I can't bear this. Right. Um, so anyway. It's, uh, it's fascinating stuff, especially on the, uh, both, both my kids are goalies too. So that always feels like an urge to like stick an arm out to see if I can make the save. Make it safe. I usually can. <laughs> now, now I know what to uh, how to explain that a little better. Yeah, that's great. Um, well, I tell you what, Alexis, we're coming up on our time here, so um, we don't want to keep you too late. Obviously, any kind of final thoughts for us? And you said you want to mention your um, you uh, give a little self shout out. Yeah, yeah. Well, first of all, just I, I love that you guys are doing this. Um, I mean, what a gift to to parents. Um, to hear themselves Kyle Kozier, gift to parents <laughs> gift to parents but not for everyone <laughs> that's what the backside said also yeah. not for everyone yeah. <laughs> the fine big, print big in Canada <laughs> uh well first of all just thank you thank you for for allowing me on and and um what a fun group you are um uh yeah. So what I wanted to share was um, I I had mentioned that I'd started this this um, I have a new website called Campfire Family Coaching. Uh, one of the things that I am very interested in is um, if I could just share a very quick story. I was um, did you say no, Kyle? Oh, I said oh yeah. Oh okay okay. <laughs> so he actually I said getting... no, but now he's backtracking. Yeah. <laughs> 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 cut her up. Um, by the way, I love that this is called After Dark, which is like, you know, 12 hours. Um <laughs> like 12 or not much. Anyway, my joke was that like it's after hours, which starts at 4 p.m. Yes. Uh or after dark. I'm sorry, after dark. Never mind. It's late for me. <laughs> it's funny in my head. Um, okay, so this my story important. I wanted to share is that I was getting certified in um in this this certain kind of play therapy and I had to record myself um doing a play therapy activity with a child and just like in you know high school and college this uh, I had to record this thing and show it to my supervisor um first thing Monday morning and it's Sunday night and I was like oh my gosh I didn't do this and so I wake up my 11 year old right and I'm like get out of bed. I got to record you doing this activity with me. And she was like, okay. And so um, the activity is we had to draw a big heart and then make these little boxes along the side. And I said to her, tell me 10 feelings that 11 year olds have. And so she names these feelings and I write one feeling next to each of these boxes. And then I say, okay, now uh, color in the box next to the feeling with a color that you think represents that feeling. And so she colors in, you know, yellow for happy and pink for excited and, um, you know, black for um, scared and all these things. And then she she does all these and, and I say, okay, now, now fill in his heart to show me how much or how little of these feelings you have. And so she's coloring in the heart, you know, and she's showing me, oh, I got a little bit of this in my heart, but I've got a lot of that color. And, and, and it was so fascinating. I mean, it was just so fascinating to see my, my own child um, represent all her emotions this way. And then she gets to the end of it. She goes, oh my gosh, how could I forget? 
11 year olds have anxiety. I didn't write down anxiety as one of my feelings. And she'd finished filling in the whole thing. So she's like, well, I got to, she flips it over. She draws a great big heart. And she says, now, mama, thing you need to know about anxiety, she says to the child therapist, is um, it's, it's, it's a very complex emotion. It's like, oh, okay. And she says, um, you know, when it's opening night of a play I'm in, I'm anxious, but it's yellow anxious because I'm I'm excited about going on the stage, but I'm I'm nervous. And then sometimes there's dread. And so she's like coloring in black, you know? And she's like, and then anxiety kind of pops. And so she's kind of making these popping things on this big piece of paper. I'm looking at this and I am like, my kid's internal landscape, right? This is her emotional landscape. And I'm like, this is just so fascinating. And I thought, if I can do this with my kid, I want other parents to be able to do this kind of thing with their own kids. I don't want them to have to go to therapy. Um, I just want to be able to offer these kinds of play therapy um, activities that we do with kids in the therapy office, but have parents be able to lead it with their own kids. So anyway, all that to say, long story to say that I'm starting these groups. That's great. Middle school, or middle school girls. I'm starting with middle school girls and their Good moms. Luck. Wonderful. What was the name of the website again, Alexis? Campfire Family Coaching. So when, uh, when I put the episode out, I'll include all of that on there as well, just so people can uh, can track it down and find you easily. So. Yeah, and I'm doing a one-hour free workshop so parents can get to know me a little bit. That'll be coming up January 15th, 17th. That's all on the uh, all on the uh, website. Oh, wonderful. Okay, good deal. So yeah, so this will be out next week. So plenty of time for people to uh, to get after it. And on my website, I have like little vouchers. If kids want to print those out and put them in mom's stocking um, for, you know, a little gift um, to do something like this together. My boys aren't that thoughtful, but I appreciate uh, you including that. Never mind. <laughs> Absolutely. That is awesome. Well, uh, this has been really fun. Um, I just want to do one last thing. Can I take a picture of all of us? Yeah. Get my cat in here too. Uh, yeah. what, the the uh, level of psychology you could go to for my codependency on my animals is just wild. So <laughs> regular Beautiful. picture is free an extra $2 if you want my good side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, pets are some of our best co-regulators. Yeah. Oh, you like I said, and these two are not pet people, so they don't understand like these uh, these little furry people keep me functioning. So <laughs> my house it. is just full of them, <laughs> and they're usually nicer too. than my kids, so I need that. <laughs> We've got our dog, Mr. Belvedere, and we couldn't oh, we couldn't survive without him. Yeah, they're wonderful. Well, Alexis, I can't thank you enough for being on the show. Uh, always nice to have a little little change of pace from talking about uh, tryouts and outdoor rinks. So it uh, nice to do a little more highbrow for once. <laughs> <laughs> Me highbrow? Yeah, or in Corey's case, for the first time. So yeah, <laughs> you know, I kept her above board, kind of. <laughs> No, thank you so much, Alexis. Yeah, this was it was great. Thank you again for joining. Insightful and helpful. Like I said, I I have an anxious kid, so it's just it's 
it's really helpful and it's uh, sometimes just nice to know that this is, you know, something other people go through too, you know, cause it, it can, it can be overwhelming. It can. But, uh, okay. I've got a lot of know, empathy. Right. And, but you know, the, such a worthwhile, amazing kid, but just this thing that he deals with. And so I just try, it's, it's nice to talk to somebody to have tools that just help me to understand him better. So thank you. I so appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for, thank you. Thank you for telling me about him. Good. All right. Well, good night, everybody. Thanks yeah, again. Good evening, Alexis. And, and good uh, night. feel free to come back on uh, anytime here. So I'll get all your information out and off we go. Sounds great. All right. Be well, everyone. Yeah. Thanks, Alexis. Good night. Thank you. Bye-bye. Good show, guys. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. loved her. I loved her. She was great. Nice lady and some good uh, good insight as well. Yeah. Yeah. She there's a lot of good stuff she had in there. Talked about some some of the dichotomies between uh, your identity and your experience, you know, and what you've achieved. Uh, I actually took about three or four pages of notes here, which for me is hard because writing words on paper is difficult for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I handle it. Like letting, yeah, I kind of feel like stuffing you in a locker right now, Corey. Take dial it back a little. <laughs> You know, let, letting kids, hurt, you know, hurt and uh, some of the different, uh, the mirror neurons. There's a lot of good pieces out there. Uh, I, I can tell you plenty of stories from last weekend about things I wish I wouldn't have said, but we don't, we're not supposed to go there. <laughs> no, no, no. Jump in, roll around. I love it. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, I, I thought it was, I thought it was insightful. I, I, um, I just kind of like how she touched on, you know, I, I think those are things like, and I'm even bad at it too with like figuring out where they are and their, their feelings and their thoughts and, you know, um, just meeting them where they are. That's always something I have to work on as a mom, especially with Jet, because he's my kid that has to be met where he's at. And so it's just helpful. I don't know. I really, I, and, and I think that the psychological part of sports is something that just doesn't get talked about enough. Um, mm -hmm. But it's so big. And I think it's getting bigger and bigger. Cause like she said, people burnout is just like a, it's, it's, it's like an epidemic right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. I go, go through it all the time and it's uh, it manifests itself in most of the time in self-sabotage. So, you know, for every story you hear about a guy that's like, Hey, I just, I was just done playing. There's, 10 more where they just like made, made it happen, but we'll never verbalize that they just f found a way to be done. Right. Exactly. Yeah. There, it's not always blatant, um, quit it. It's, yeah. to be, yeah. you know, um, like purposeful failure. Yeah. 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 Where, you know, like creating situations to be done with something that they, they, they want out of. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think that that's, you know, I mean, it, it's it's I so I was glad to do it because like I said I just you know I worry about that as a sport parent just being mindful especially as we're going into the teenage boys don't share my feelings years you know what's wrong nothing okay great bro I, I don't know why you think I said that mean I just <laughs> said it was okay the, you just don't understand. Oh, you're always mad at me. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I know. Or, or like, um, Jet's a, a champion of this one. Like, if I'm having a hard day and I'm not not showing it, but what? what's up with you? What's up with you? Why are you in a bad mood? I'm like, I'm not, but I'm getting there. <laughs> I'd like to draw draw my emotional heart because it would just say anger. Like the whole thing would be filled in anger all black. the time. Black, He's black, always angry. Black. Different Dark shades like of black. Dead yeah. <laughs> like my soul. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take a sec. Kelly, have you seen the giant cans of White Claw? No. They have White Claw and High Noon in like king cans now. Are they? Are they like, the other like day a baby cane or it's it's uh almost like a, a Colt forty the giant can of Colt forty five. I saw it at a Fargo Force game and I almost called because I thought, you know who would appreciate this, Kelly. That's right, uh, Kyle. If you're going to talk about can size references, you have to meet her where she's at. So you can't drop Colt. <laughs> you got to be like. Kelly, like a four loco. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> <a size> <laughs> <laughs> and she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Now I'm painting a mental picture. Yeah. As the yeah. most sweet wise of the crew, I, I thought I could drop Colt 45, yeah. but apparently not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you I get... mean, you could, I live on the north end, so that should be, that should right? paint a picture. So, yeah. You might I, as well be talking about Hurricane Malt Liquor. She has no idea what you're talking <laughs> about, Kyle. <laughs> Hey, Kyle, that's a great transition. So Kyle dropped off uh, in my uh, mailbox a Ice Wind Brewing hey. Pretty Mama Belgian Blonde. And we're both drinking the same thing. Kyle, it this beer, it is fantastic. Yeah, I uh, I didn't want to be a degenerate and, and drink it on the show, so I kept pouring it in my water glass. Oh, yeah, no, no I, I, was drink I just drank on the show because I... I, that's that's part of my emotional regulation. Yeah. So. You have cats. I have booze, Kelly. That's yeah, I, I, know. I know. Then I've got my emotional support, 14-year-old cat over here uh, that I'm going to force to live forever. Uh, yeah. I, just so much for her to dig into, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I like, Kelly, I like you're trying to like very casually push that cat out of screen and then just gave up. And he's so <laughs> aggressive. Like he he loves me to a point of aggressive. And it's it's yeah, like he just he, he doesn't take no for an answer. Kind of like Matt Moreland. So you look like, like <laughs> a middle school boy in a movie. Kyle, so Ice Wind is out of Mapleton, North Dakota, huh? Sure. Yeah, we these guys could be a sponsor. This was some this, I don't know movie. what you thought of. This Where do we find this? Good. Because Matt Moreland will be interested. I, I have one in the fridge and I will drop it off at his house because I've been, uh, if I can tell a brief anecdote, I dropped a beer off for Corey after school. Uh, I saw his kid in the driveway. I'm like, here, kid, take this beer to your dad. Uh, <laughs> he knows oh, where it goes. <laughs> his neighbor kid was standing up watching the transaction, same age. Uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm leaving this poor kid. I'm <laughs> surreptitiously bullying this kid. And so I had to drive by. I'm like, I'll bring one for your dad later. And took off. <laughs> I'm coming back for your dad. Hey, I did, so I'm going to text your dad about that beer so he knows yeah. it exists. <laughs> so there is so, one more left in my garage, and I will bring it to Matt. Then okay. I got a fuller, too. You know, it's a whole thing. I, I feel like this beer is pretty on brand for us being called Pretty Mama, and we deal with Mom Island. So, you know, it's it's right there. In yeah. Belgians, you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Speaking of pretty mamas, Kyle, uh, it's probably about that time we talk to people about the Andrews Construction Services. Let's hear it. 
Anyway. Uh, Andrews Construction Services with uh, 20 years of experience in commercial contracting. They do dental offices, schools, retail space, auto body shops, all phases of construction from initial design all the way through completion. They have 20 years of experience with commercial contracts. You dream it, they can make it a reality. You want your next construction project to be a breeze? Call them up at Andrews. Uh, I had the good fortune to see some uh, construction photos um, from the proprietor of Andrews Construction Services this evening. Really nice stuff, like a proud papa. Oh, that's so nice. We reached the age where we're showing construction photos to each other, not <laughs> girl chicks we like. So it, you're you're not sending photos like a certain Bina sends to me in text messages where I I get scared every time I push the okay I'll look at this picture button. <laughs> but that's a story for another day. What am I gonna open? What am I opening here? Uh, it'll be too late for anyone to do anything about this by the time the episode is released. But that's my pitch for the next episode. Mr. And Mr. Bina. Mr. Tony. Oh. Yeah. Mr. Nice. Anthony Bina. Yeah. I'm so, 100%. Outdoor range. You had me at Bina. Yeah. You had me at Bina. Because I there's not a one of the, the, the game that I don't like. Yeah. yeah. Can, can, I, I have a firm belief. No such thing as a bad Bina. All right. I, I, I would, I'll take a t-shirt with that on it. Okay. Yeah, but there's a pecking order. Like, do we have to start with Tony? Could we maybe get Aaron? Like, can we go a little <laughs> higher on the Bina list? For the hundredth episode, we'll rank the Binas. I live by <laughs> so I could probably get you know yeah. a connection there. There's Why are connection. we shooting so low with bringing Tony on first? <laughs> hey, listen, that guy's seen some stuff, and as of now as an <laughs> athletic director, he's really seen some stuff. So he, he has might, some might be stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah, just uh, yeah, we could just even just AD stories, and then and then I was thinking about uh following up with Gino Gasparini to tell college hockey stories from 1981 where there are no rules. Love, love it, it. Love it. Yeah. absolutely love it. Fitzy Gasparini was my health teacher, yeah. Our producer had the same uh health teacher, yes, she's the best. So, those Gasparini's good crew. Uh, fun anecdote. Tootsie once asked me to very politely to not play blonde arts around her kids. Her kids. <laughs> I was playing with her kids. No blonde arts around the grandkids. Well, all right. But in a very nice Tootsie way. Yeah, I know. She's a doll. Such a sweet lady. Tremendous lady. Um, any parting thoughts? Uh, so we got white cloth and we got double, double Belgian mamas. Yeah. Um, my final thoughts are this is probably our last release before Christmas, or are we doing another one right before Christmas? I think we can record the Bina one next, and then we can release it between Christmas and New Year's. Wonderful. Let the Bina be the last thing you hear in 2023. Right. Oof. So my final thoughts are wishing you both a Merry Christmas. I uh, hope you guys have some great time with family. <laughs> Corey uh, skipping the, the Tony episode. Other than Venus, <laughs> no, uh, no, great episode. I thought um, I, I like to look at all the facets of of hockey, and uh, like I said, I'm I'm what you call a psychologist's dream because um, there's a lot to unpack here. Yeah. There's a lot to unpack. All right. Um, um, 
the last psychologist that I ever talked to was a good friend of mine who also went into child psychology. And while she was in her studies, she uh, used me as a guinea pig to learn from. And her only words to me was, you have a lot of problems, Corey. <laughs> a lot of problems. Wow. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Well, there is a spectrum of disorders and you're hammering. You're literally like throwing darts, Corey. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, Kelly. Go ahead. Anxiety could be my middle name. I made the reference yet when somebody said, you're not anxious, are you? And I said, oh, no, I can only do things like um, get myself literally nauseous over like, remember that time in third grade when you had to lead the prayer to St. Michael at school and you yelled into the microphone? Let's mentally tear ourselves apart and give ourselves a stomachache over that. So that's where I am. So like I said, there's a lot to unpack here. I, I could keep Alexis busy for many, many hours. Yeah. So I'm still, I lost a baseball when I was six. I'm still upset about that. But, uh, <laughs> exactly. I'd like to tell a Regina story because I also used to talk to psychologists because uh, at, in Regina, at the University of Regina, if you wanted to meet, uh, let's call them available girls, you would go to the psychology mixers. What are unavailable girls, Kyle? One premise. One girl from Saskatoon. They don't mix. Uh, but <laughs> the Psychology Students Association had a lot of mixers. Uh, it was populated with uh, a lot of available uh, girls from Regina, and I frequented a lot of them. What so Kyle figured out is those psychology girls. They love the guys that there's a lot to unpack, all right? <laughs> they're they're going into that for a career. They love that shit, you know? Like, they're like, tell me more about your childhood trauma. I want it. I'd show up with a coconut. <laughs> hey, have you seen my baseball? I lost it when I was six and then burst into tears <laughs> every time. He's so broken. God, I yeah. love him. <laughs> I can fix him. Oh, that's sexy. <laughs> I don't know what to say about that. I've got like 13 <laughs> jokes and this isn't that after dark of a show. Hey, listen, different kinks for different folks. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, that's, it's again, tell, yeah. Try to tell right back to psychology. Brought a baseball into it and Corey's still not happy. Mm-hmm. No, I mean, I was going to make a something about Mary joke, but I just don't, didn't think it was <laughs> the right guy. Going to tuck that one down deep inside. Yeah. You know, I like to put my, I like to put some of my really off color jokes with my anger, as she said, and I tuck it way down and then, and then my anger comes out all the time anyways. So I'm angry about everything. Ice wind brewing. No, this is delicious. I'm telling you, Kyle, what a winner. You picked a winner. Uh, Yeah. And a winner of a guest. I really liked Alexis. I would have her back. Um, That was wonderful. And yeah. I will be checking out her website because I, I I like your philosophies. Yeah. Campfire Family Coaching. I'll put it up and uh, encourage everyone to check it out. Talk about baseballs you lost when you were six. Good stuff. Uh, well, I hope everyone enjoyed the show. I hope everyone enjoys their evening and this nice warm weather we're having and hopefully having when the episode's released. But I would also like my rink uh, to freeze. very much. Both of you are waiting on your ODRs. So. I've got five inches ice already, Kyle. Oh, you might. <laughs> I don't believe it. North <laughs> facing house. 
Put it out front of the house. No sun hits my rink. Oh, I got a lot of sun. All right. At the, <laughs> at the Fabian Erian Iceplex. Oh, no, no, no. No. At the Hills Arena. The Hill. Oh, that's right. Eric named it. I forgot. Okay. The Hills Arena. didn't class. name it. Oh, I thought you came up with that. Eric takes credit for everything. Just because he's tall and good looking. <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> it was not Eric. Um, yeah. Technically, he did name it, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've descended into madness, let's cut it off. Sounds, Sounds good. good. All right. Have a nice evening. Thanks for... See you guys you tomorrow. Too. Yeah, see you tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We'll see you. First official meeting. Okay. <laughs> Good night, guys. Good night, guys.